Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. My name is Boss Rutten. Hi, this is Diego Lima. This is Rodrigo Comprido, and you listen. And you guys are listening. So you are listening to the Verbal Submission. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Verbal Submission. I am your host, Brian Hemminger, and it is Sunday, September 7th, 2014, 2015, sorry, and it's September 6th. Oh, my goodness, I'm all over the place. Anyway, we have an awesome show in store for you guys today. I'm uh, the managing editor of MMAOzbreaker.com, and I'll be joined momentarily by my trusty co-host, Jerry Rodriguez, and then in about 30 minutes, uh, coming in fashionably late, will be Richard Highlight Perry. Well, we're going to be talking uh, UFC 191, which took place last night. And then in about 30 minutes, we'll be speaking with upcoming Titan FC 35 fighter Austin Springer. Undefeated 8-0. He's going to be battling Super Steven Seiler in a pivotal featherweight battle. Probably could be uh, deciding the, the next title challenger in uh, the Titan FC banner. If And if uh, Austin does extremely well, he could potentially just be getting a, a UFC call-up because, you know, moving to 9-0, and beating a UFC vet, that's uh, pretty good for you. But we'll be talking to him about all of that momentarily. So uh, now we're just waiting on Jerry to hop aboard. The should be calling in very shortly via Skype. And uh, in the meantime, we're going to be talking UFC 191. We had 11 fights take place last night, including the UFC flyweight title being defended by champion Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. He battled John Dotson and was victorious, looked terrific, won the last four rounds convincingly. First round was a little close, but uh, just put on a clinic. Typical Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson type of performance. But uh, without further ado, Jerry, my man. The myth, the legend, the background noise, Jerry Rodriguez. How you doing, man? <laughs> Good. What are you hearing in the background? Oh, no, it's just like, mm, maybe it's just my head. Uh, it's, the, it's, it's the fan. I got to turn the it's fan It's the on. fan. There we go. Yep. See, you got you to gotta sweat when, you, when you're on the show. I know. I've, I've learned. <laughs> I used to have, like, a microphone that picked up every little thing, and... Like, if I had the fans on at all, like, even just the ceiling fan, it would, you would hear it in the microphone, just the air. So I had to sit there and sweat my ass off during every podcast. Yeah, it gets you the, it gets really hot in the room here, so. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe it. I'll have to make my way in, in a couple minutes and then turn it off across the room. But holy shit, man. Uh, what a disaster of a car. <laughs> You know what? I I told I went and watched it with a a couple relatives that are pretty decent in MMA fans, and 
I told them the real main event. I said, hands down, the true main event of tomorrow night is going to be John Lineker against Francisco Rivera. And that fight absolutely lived up to every expectation. I was so happy when I got to watch that fight. Like, it just made me feel so warm and happy inside. And that made up for anything else, honestly. It was that good. What did you think of uh, Lineker Rivera? If that fight was on the pay-per-view card, then I would have said people got half of their their money's worth. (laughs) Half of their money's worth. Because, yeah, that was an exciting fight, man. Oh, my God, the mm-hmm. pace, you know. And and then uh, I kind of looked like Rivera, you know, just kind of – he gave up, man. He The choke wasn't that deep. I felt like he could have, you know, maybe defended it. Um, but he took a lot of punches. You Beating. Know? Both of those I'm, guys did. Yeah. And freaking John Lineker has one of the craziest chins, too. I mean, these guys were winging punches – this was crazier than even, I think, the Leonard Garcia-Korean zombie fight because, you know, Leonard Garcia and the Korean zombie, you knew that those guys, they threw crazy, but they don't have crazy power. With Lineker and Rivera, both of those guys could knock anybody out with one good shot. And they were throwing as wild and crazy and recklessly as I've ever seen. What are they, 135? Uh, yeah, well, Lineker's normally 125, but he missed weight like four times, and Dana told him to go fuck himself and move up to Bantamweight permanently. <laughs> <laughs> well, they should just have those two guys fight every, you know, every card. Every card. Let, every card. Let them give each other brain damage. Uh, you know, at least you'll have one exciting fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, it was absolutely bonkers. Like, I'm watching highlights of it right now. Like, I just have not stopped watching highlights of it. I could watch that all day. Was that even two minutes? Like, it seemed longer. I don't think... The fight, at at most, lasted two minutes. Like, the crazy exchange... And the, the crazy part was, they didn't even throw a punch or a kick or anything for, like, the first 30 seconds. I'm like, what's happening? I'm like, there's no way that they're just gonna stare at each other for the first round. It's going to go down at some point. And then the second it did, it was about 30 seconds of insanity. Do you think Francisco Rivera's looking back and saying, why didn't I use my <laughs> my reach? Why didn't I make him fight my fight, not go in there and What, just what is Francisco Rivera's fight, though? That's how he fights. That's why yeah, this fight was I mean, going to be so fucking awesome. Everybody knew yeah. that they were going to do that. You would you would think that he would throw a lot more leg kicks in there. I mean, he threw some. Um, yeah, but I mean, he's not a he's not known for kicking. I mean, he's a guy. The guy's five three. The guy versus five yeah. eight. Lineker's five three. Yep. He has no reach. Yep, I know. Doesn't matter though, because like Rivera isn't a guy known for being a technical boxer. He's not going to sit back and jab people to death with like Rory McDonald. That's not how he fights. He's never fought that way. He doesn't throw straight punches. He throws big looping haymakers. And so does John Lineker. Just throw him in there. See what happens. I would pay good money to watch John Lineker and TJ Dillashaw throw down. I think I think he could beat Dillashaw if he came out that aggressively. Well, the the problem is that Lineker got wrestle fucked by Ali Bagatinov at flyweight. So I think Dillashaw would just wrestle him. Well, pro- yeah, probably, but it'd still be fun. Yeah. 
I mean, any time that anybody is going to choose to engage against Lineker, it's going to be an amazing fight. I've you know never what? seen one that wasn't amazing where they did that where they were standing banging. That should have been the card to kick off the pay per view, not fucking Paige Van Zandt versus Alexis Chambers or whatever the fucking name is. Well, I mean, it was a strong performance. It was just extremely one sided. And, and and first of all, I'm not buying the hype. You know, it was one sided. <laughs> She should have finished her in the first round. I mean, that was, uh, I mean, just the odds. I mean, I think she was like well, a plus 1,000. You've seen Paige fight before. That's really not the way that she operates. She yeah, but wears people down. This was even even in mismatches. Like, she wears yeah. people down. She doesn't have, like, one-punch knockout power. So she either makes people wilt and picks up a TKO when they just stop fighting back, like a Kaylin Curran in her UFC debut, or she just wears them down to the point where even if they have a good ground game, they just give something up to make it stop. Not buying like the hype. She's not, she, I'm not saying that she's going to be champion. I, I think she's good. I think she's really good. She's probably you know inside the top ten definitely now. But I mean, she's not going to beat Joanna. She's not going to beat Claudia Gadelia. But I think she could beat plenty of uh, girls inside the, the UFC. I mean, they don't have to make them squash matches like this last one. I mean, everybody knew this was a joke fight when they booked it. But you got to credit Paige for taking it seriously and beating the tar out of this girl. I mean, that was as one-sided as it gets. Yeah, I, I wasn't impressed. I was, after a while, it was just the same thing over and over. It was boring. Oh, I didn't. Well, I don't know. I like watching Paige fights, so I'm never bored when... Because she well, just... She just has this way of never stopping. She does not slow down, and she doesn't stop throwing strikes the whole fight, like in any position. I don't know. I always like watching it. Throw her in there against John Lineker. Let's see how strong she is. Throw her against John Lineker. (laughs) (laughs) You're a sadist. Let's see how well she does. Uh, What was the most uh, disappointing fight? On the whole card for you. Oh, hands down, Mira Orlovsky. I thought that fight was going to be over in about two minutes, and they were just, you know, going to be Travis Brown style of Orlovsky, and they were just going to be winging until somebody went down, and they never did. Like, Mira basically, looked pretty big. Oh, Mira was fat. He had yeah. a heaving gut, and I thought he was. I thought he. It was close. It was close. Uh, Amir got really tired, but, I mean, you could give him the first two. I mean, he was controlling most of the clinch. He was in top position for most when they did go to the ground. And he was holding his own on the feet. Um, Like, he wasn't doing anything crazy, but, like, he would basically throw, like, a two- or three-punch combination and then enter the clinch. Like, he wasn't doing anything stupid where he was just trading in open space constantly because that that would have favored Arlovsky. I thought Amir had a pretty good game plan. He just... Being so uh, heavy, he uh, didn't have very good cardio, and he got really, really tired in the third round. And he still dropped Arlovsky in the third round, I think, but, I mean, it wasn't enough to win in the round. I I gave him the first two rounds. I thought he did enough to to win. But Mm -hmm. whichever judge gave the fight to Arlovsky at 30-27 needs to get – he just needs to get his license revoked or whatever it is. <laughs> never. If, if they revoked every judge that had a bad scorecard, we wouldn't have any judges anymore. Well, Although that'd they, probably be a good thing. Start over. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't complain. All right. Uh, okay. So 
for me, it was that fight that was the most disappointing. Did you have any of that were more disappointing than that, or did I hit the nail on the head? It was well that one. I mean, I think that's going to be everyone's disappoint uh, disappointment for the night. But just think about this: if they had Lineker to start, and then they had Rumble as the co-main event, I think that changes the the perception of of the pay per view. Mm-hmm. You know, because then you have two really exciting finishes. And instead, we got Mir and Arlovsky for three rounds where they both looked tired. I mean, even Arlovsky looked winded. And then um, Mighty Mouse. Look, I'll be honest. I fell asleep after the first round. <laughs> that passed was the most out. boring round, I thought, the, the first. There was more feeling out. Yeah, I passed out. I fell asleep. Yeah. So, um, But from what I read, it was pretty much Mighty Mouse dominating and people booing <laughs> so but the most disappointing fight of the night was uh actually right before the the pay-per-view was uh felder versus uh ross pearson because i didn't I think felt, that one was boring it wasn't boring i mean it, it, it definitely wasn't but i thought I it would be more violent i thought felder yeah. would knock him out but. it was it was a huge letdown because i thought that they would be swinging more um, I think I think Felder has sort of topped out. I, I don't think that we're going to see him do any better. I mean, he had a big opportunity against Edson Barboza to sort of make his name um, at 140. He's at 145, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, Wait, 155. Who? Yeah, that was uh, at lightweight. Yeah. So I felt like he, he had a chance to really make his name there. And and he just does this now. He's just he he wants to do the spinning shit all the time, you know, or mm-hmm. or just. Well, it worked in one fight. Yeah, and you know, kudos to to Pearson because uh, or whatever his name is Ross because he had a good game plan. You know, went to the body and he did just enough to win. So that fight for me was just kind of disappointment because uh, I was expecting more from it. I, I wanted a bloodier scene. Than, yeah. than them hugging and him slumping mm-hmm. and Rogan coming over to talk I, to him. You, you got to give Ross Pearson credit, though. He put on a boxing clinic. He was landing good jabs. He was just outperforming Felder. So, and I, yeah, I really one of the body. He was yeah. mixing it up. I thought I thought Pearson was done after he uh, lost to Evan Dunham. I was like, okay, he's on a serious downswing. But, you know, you got to give him some props. He, uh, he brought it. And, you know, huge underdog, too, against Felder. I think Felder was like, Minus four hundred something. Should have been on that one. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, we we had some good bets last night, but uh, we didn't get on that one. Yeah, we who, were on. Who did, uh, uh, who did you have? We had Pennington. She was uh, almost plus two hundred, and then uh, Cody Anderson was plus uh, one twenty five, and then the easiest bet of the night. It was about even money. I think it was like minus 106. We had the under in the Lineker-Rivera fight. <laughs> under two and a half rounds. So <laughs> we're like, okay, you know, if the way that these guys fight, there's no way this fight lasts 12 and a half minutes. And I, we were right. <laughs> yeah, I should have jumped on that. should have jumped on that. Oh, definitely. So, what did you think of the main event? I thought the main event was, you know, Demetrius Donson doing his thing. And 
I'm I'm a fan because he is so technical. Like his biggest problem though is um, sometimes he's like he shuts down his opponent, but he's not able to dominate and put away some of the toughest guys. You know, Bogotinov he dominated that fight, but he couldn't finish him. And then Dodson, it wasn't a complete domination. It was more, you know, the death by a thousand cuts thing. Like he was landing great lead punches. He was entering the clinch and doing work in the clinch. He was, you know, working for takedowns, just trying to tire Dodson out from having to defend it. And, you know, by the end of the fight, Dodson was moving in slow motion, but, you know, he just couldn't put him away. So, I mean, it was it was a good performance. It was a clear, clearly showed that he is head and shoulders above everybody in the division. Again, just like we all knew. But, I mean... It wasn't a star-making performance. I mean, the last time he fought Dodson, it was an amazing fight. It was a better fight the last time, but that was because it was more competitive last time. Dod, like Johnson's just gotten so much better that he doesn't have to put himself at risk as much anymore. Who do you think is next for him? Like, what makes sense? Oh, there's only one that makes sense, and it's if uh, Henry Cejudo beats Formiga. It's basically the winner of Formiga Cejudo because that's something fresh. I know that Joseph Benavides is fighting uh, Bogatinov coming up, but the winner of that fight doesn't deserve to fight for the title. So they'll probably put uh, Mighty Mouse on ice until Cejudo versus uh, Formiga because neither of those guys have fought for the title, and they're both like in the top like five or six in the division. So it makes sense that they would be in there. And then what happens? He beats the next guy, and then what does he move up? Does he jump over and fight Ronda? I don't know about fighting Ronda, but I wouldn't mind watching him, uh, you know, champion versus champion, uh, Mighty Mouse Dillashaw. I think that'd be a good fight. Yeah, that would be pretty entertaining. Did did Mighty Mouse ever fight at 155? At 155? Yeah. No, he's only ever fought at 135, as far as I know, unless it was before the WEC. Because he, like, I think he debuted in the WEC against Brad Pickett and lost. And that was at 135. And uh, I don't know if he fought higher than that before then, though. Probably not, though. He's not a very big guy. He should make the jump to 145. (laughs) 125 isn't enough? You know, drop drop a whole other weight class? Well, I mean, well, he should go up to 135. But just for the hell of it, I mean, if he's going to keep the title... Might as well, but he should jump up. I mean, at this point, he's done everything. Well, the the problem is he's not a huge guy. So, I mean, he's perfectly suited to fight at 125. They just need to build some more challengers. Right now, Cejudo would make would be really cool because that's a guy that's undefeated. He better win against Formiga, first of all. And he's a guy that's got decent boxing. He's a gold medal winning wrestler. He's undefeated. So, you know, he's got all the qualities that would make a fight that they could sell against Johnson as a formidable opponent. Yeah, but, you hit the nail on the head. They could sell that. But let me ask you, if, if you took away the gold medal winning, I mean, would you be excited seeing him as an MMA fighter? Like, I was, was he in Legacy or RFA? Uh, Cejudo was in Legacy. Missed weight like four times and pulled out of a bunch of fights. And even then, it was like it was... Like you remember the hype? I just, I never watched them fight and go, "Wow, this guy's the real deal." Mm-hmm. 
you know? So th- they can sell that fight based on the fact that he won the gold medal in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really excite me. Like, yeah, honestly, the probably the, the next guy that could potentially challenge him down the road is probably still over a year out. But it's uh, maybe Ray Borg, somebody like that. I think he's a really fun, exciting guy in the flyweight division. I mean, he's he's not ready. I mean, he's still only like 21 or 22. But uh, maybe in a year or two, if uh, Mighty Mouse is still reigning supreme, that's somebody that would uh, make some sense. But he still needs at least two or three more wins probably in the division. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I just don't see anyone there that uh, that's going to dethrone him. Yeah, right now it's Cejudo, as long as Cejudo beats Formiga, and that's not a guarantee because uh, Cejudo, you know, he didn't look that great in his last fight against Chico Camus, and I thought that was a fight that they made to kind of showcase how good Cejudo was, and, you know, he, he struggled a bit. Yeah. So we'll I mean, see what happens. And even, even like, the sell for this fight was terrible. Like, it was, they were really reaching. Like, Dana White, before the pay-per-view went on, now, this is a different John Dodson. He's not goofing around. I mean, well, <laughs> you would mm-hmm. hope he's not goofing. You know, he's known for it, but, I mean, if that's how you're going to sell it, then you're in trouble. Uh, I, I just, <laughs> I, honestly, they, they they shouldn't headline pay-per-view cards with with guys at, at 125 or 135. Keep them on strictly on fight nights or... FS1 or, or, you know, the Big Fox shows as co-main events because just it's, it's a tough sell, man, especially when you have a guy that's so dominating like Mighty Mouse and the fact that he's not putting people away like a John Jones would or an Anderson Silver would. Well, you can't you can't give Johnson too much shit for that. I mean, he finished three of his last four opponents in title fights before this last one. Yeah, but it's, uh, you know... I mean, what's his record? How many? He has 10 decision wins. And then he has four knockouts. Well, he's he's never really been a big knockout guy. I mean, he has the one awesome one against Joseph Benavidez, but for the most part, when he wins, it's, uh, you know, wears you down and submits you type of thing. I don't know. I, I think they just keep those guys off for now. You know, it's just... It would make sense. Yeah. I mean, you look at his title fights, and so far he's had uh, four decisions in his title fights. He's had three submissions and a knockout. So, you know, only half of his title fights have gone to decision. And they've all been pretty, you know, entertaining. I mean, I would say the least entertaining was uh, probably, hmm, maybe the Bagotina fight. The Moraga fight, even though he got the submission, I thought that was just one-sided. Moraga didn't engage. Yeah. That was a bit frustrating. But, you know, Moraga, you know, he got thrown into the wolves way too soon for that one, too. I mean, he fought... His first two fights in the UFC were uh, curtain jerkers, where he was the first guy on the card. And then his next... After he won both of those by stoppage, they give him a title shot. <laughs> Chris Carriasso that's, that's, was pretty... That's kind of the state of uh, the flyweight division, though, right now. So. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about that flyweight division. Just mm-hmm. not enough talent there. That's very possible. 
All right. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about from uh, UFC 191? We really haven't talked about uh, Rumble. We haven't talked about uh, Blockowitz, or you know, maybe if there's something else that happened on that card that you thought was entertaining. Holy shit! This guy, (laughs) I mean, look, he's an asshole. You know, everybody knows that. But you know, they keep hyping Ronda Rousey as you know Mike Tyson like uh, power. I mean, this guy charges. And you know, if if you don't wear him out and you don't grab a hold of him and and, and make him use his energy and, and and fatigue him, he's gonna knock people. I would love to see him go out the same way he did against Cormier in the first round against John Jones, because mm-hmm. uh, I, don't, I think that that's worth the price of a pay per view right there. Uh, I, I don't know. I, you know what? He does. He deserves the title shot after uh, Cormier and uh, Gustafson. You know, I, I don't think Orlovsky gets it. But if you don't give him the next title shot, whenever John Jones gets back, I, I'm sure it's going to be sooner than later. You mm-hmm. make that happen. You just have to. Like, you don't fuck around with giving John Jones a, a tune-up fight, or you don't fuck around and say, okay, John Jones is going to unify the title with whoever's holding the other. You just make that fight happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Anthony Johnson is, you know, he has his issues, and I think people, you know, now that he's got the reputation, people are going to start blowing every little thing out of proportion. So, uh, you know, he can't, you know, he he will not be able to redeem himself, in my opinion, with a lot of people. Like he's just dead to them. And you know what? Screw him. You know, just keep going out there and knocking the shit out of people. Uh, that's how you win people over again. And I mean, I know that everybody expected he was going to beat Anthony Johnson, you know, pretty easily. But he still went out, or that he was going to beat Jimmy Manua pretty easily, and he still did. So you got to give him credit where credit's due. Oh yeah, I, look, I I enjoy watching him fight. You know, he the guy's a beast. You know, he's got killer hands. But um, that that's why I'm saying you make that John Jones fight happen right away. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't let so him. You want that to be the John Jones's return fight, or do you you'd rather have John Jones fight uh, Cormier? And no way. Get the title make, again. That's his return fight. That's what I was saying. Dude. Don't fuck around and. And, and make the unification belt. Let that be the return fight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? They should have, just for the sake of it, they should have on the same card, John Jones defend his title, and then whoever wins uh, the Cormier and Gustafson fight defend that interim title um, against whoever the next guy in line is, and then have it play out where the winner of those two fights meet each other in a future pay-per-view. Now you're like, assuming that John Jones is even going to be back. He'll be back. <laughs> What's he going to do? You know, where's he going to go? Mm-hmm. He's he's not going to leave all that money on the table. No way. Yeah, that's pretty rough. So we'll see what happens, but uh, definitely Rumble is, in my opinion, the clear number two guy behind uh, Jones and Cormier in the division. So. I want to see, uh, like, if John Jones doesn't come back, what do you do with Rumble? Do you just have him fight the winner of Gustafson Cormier, or do you uh, you tune him up again with somebody? 
Oof, I would give him. Who's fighting next? You have. Uh, Rashad is fighting Bader. Rashad is fighting. Uh, I'm not interested in seeing it. He's not going to fight Rashad. Yeah, they're buddies. Well, you you certain you that certain that Rashad's going to win? Oh, I'm not that certain. I'm just I'm just saying I don't think he would fight Rashad. Yeah. And I just have no. I don't. I'm not buying Bader as the, as a top five heavyweight. I just he's mm-hmm. not a fucking contender. Like people need to stop. He's not. You know. Oh, I got one. I got a fight. Rumble Glover. Yeah, that would be interesting. There we go. Matchmaker extraordinaire over here. I'm just afraid Glover would be too technical and. No, I think he would. He's slowing down. I think Rumble would catch him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? Screw it. Um, pull Josh Barnett and throw him in there against Big Country. That would be fun. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> he's a heavyweight, but I don't care. That'd be fun. Oh God, that would be awesome. It would. It like, would be the heavyweight version of Lineker versus Rivera. <laughs> it would be. Because Big Country just. He throws those big shots and just mm-hmm. doesn't stop. Uh, but if you want to give him a fight that, you know, is just going to basically add another highlight to the reel, then I say you, you put him in there against Dan Henderson. Mm-hmm. I mean, you sacrifice Dan Henderson to Rumble. Um, yeah. Because, you know, Rumble will go in there and just knock his head off. Uh, but there's always a chance that he lands that H-bomb and, you know, then you have a a brand-new story that you can sell. All right. Well, I'm going to go get uh, Austin Springer on the line, and while I do that, uh, oh, first of all, Highlight is back on the show. Uh, Richard, how you doing? I'm doing good. All right. Uh, you can bullshit with Jerry about whatever you guys want to from UFC 191, and I'm going to go get Austin Springer on the line. So, okay, uh, take I it have, away, boys. I have the perfect matchup for uh, for Anthony Johnson, and and just hear me out. We need to see him fight Nikita Krylov if we're really ever going to call him the uh, the number two in the division. Why? Because <laughs> Krylov is amazing, and he would push Rumble to the limit. Where is Krylov even ranked? <laughs> He's not. That's what I'm saying. I, I, just, <laughs> I just failed to see how that would be. Uh, are you serious? you think he would push him? No, not really, <laughs> No. <laughs> I just wanted to have something to do with all my uh, eat, pray, cry, all shit. Uh, <laughs> well, I, th- I think uh, I think Dan Henderson's a good fight for him. Um, I think I mean, there's a lot of fights you can you can make happen with Rumble, Bader, or or uh, or if he gets through Rashad. All right, gentlemen. Uh, I hate to interrupt, but we are joined now by our first and only guest from today's show. He is fighting September 19th against Super Steven Siler for Titan FC 35. 
Uh, welcome for the first time to the verbal submission, Austin Springer. How's it going, guys? Oh, it's going real good, Austin. Um, there's uh, a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about because, all right, first of all, I want to make sure I get your age right because I've seen it a couple things. Are you only like 23, 24 years old? No, I'm uh, oh. 28 years old. Okay, that makes a lot more sense because I was I saw <laughs> something say you were 23 and I'm like, there is no way. This guy started in 2007. Like, he'd have to be like 16 years old. So that was like one thing that like stood out to me, and I'm like, that's not possible. <laughs> like, <laughs> like with what this guy's accomplished already in his career, like it made me feel bad about myself. So, yeah, uh, okay, not. 28. That's a lot more reasonable. Okay, so, um, <laughs> but uh, I want to know, you know, what was the your path a little bit to uh, Titan? Because you fought in multiple other promotions, even Bellator, and uh, you know. Did you just uh, have an opportunity, you know, maybe from training with Pat or something where they were just reaching out? I know you had some offers, but, uh, you know, what was uh, you know, what was your path to uh, get to Titan? You know, I had a couple different uh, options on the table, different contracts presented uh, to me. And uh, I kind of, you know, waited out as what made the most sense. Um, you know, I have teammates that, I'm UFC, Bellator, World Series of Fighting, so I get a little bit of like the, the behind the scenes, of the logistics of you know how stuffs ran and you know how they like it. Um, and what I didn't want is I didn't want to be tied down for a long period of time in one company and not be able to go to the UFC when I get the call. And that's one of the things that Titan offers is the ability you know to springboard you right to that. I mean, aside from the UFC fight pass, like there, a lot of guys get pulled from Titan up to the UFC with, you know, very limited hesitation from Titan, and it was, uh, it made the most sense to go that route. All right, well, um, definitely seems like it was, uh, the correct decision. Now, I want to know, you know, where does your drive come from? Because you've accomplished so much already with your, uh, career, you know, you're undefeated, you own a gym, you you know you work with those guys. You train at another gym over with uh, Pat on occasion. You uh, you've got you're married. You've got two boys. I mean, you seem like a guy that you know is very very focused. Man, I uh, I love to compete. I think is what it really comes down to. Uh, you know, it kind of started after high school. I didn't reach the goals that I had set for myself. Uh, stuff in the family life kind of distracted me. I didn't go off and wrestle in college like I wanted to. Um, and I got into martial arts, uh, and I loved it. It was such a, a more satisfying victory in a fight than it was a wrestling match or a tournament uh, or a jiu-jitsu match or whatever it may be, and it was just, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, and it's just really easy to stay motivated for something like that when you enjoy doing it so much. Uh, you know, And you mentioned, you know, the, the family and the boys and stuff. Like, it's such a a great support system that I have that allows me to do all this so easily, which is my wife, my parents, my kids, you know, having my own gym, training in another gym. It's just a, a, an amazing support system that I have built around me that really, I think, is an advantage that I have that a lot of people, a lot of fighters don't have, which uh, I don't take for granted. It's pretty sweet. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I was wondering, how did you get started working with uh, Pat Healy? I know he used to work at 
uh, you know, he used to work out at a gym. I think that you used to go to a little bit, but you know, how did you uh, get meet up with him? Because I I know he's from a, a similar area, but you know, different gyms, different areas. Well, uh, no, we're actually well. So I have my own gym in Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Vancouver, it's about 15 minutes away from the Portland area. Pat and I train at the same gym. I go to my gym a little bit, but what happens when I'm there is all the members come up to me. They don't ask the question, so I, I really can't get good, solid workouts when I'm there. Mm-hmm. So I outsource my training uh, to a gym in Portland, which is Rose City FC, which is where Pat goes, Dave Jameson yeah. goes. Uh, the list goes on and on. Um, and so I do the majority of my training there, so it's uninterrupted, and I can just focus on me and be selfish, and then I coach at my gym and I do private mm-hmm. lessons at my gym, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, the Rose City guys, we're real tight with them. I mean, we've had Pat on, we've had uh, Dave Jansen on a bunch of times, Tyson Nam, uh, Mike Pierce, you know, the list goes on and on. They've got a, a lot of talent over there. So it seems like uh, they do, uh, you know, what, what was it that drew you over there? You know, you said some of the the more popular guys, but I tell you what, there is a a list of up and coming savages that you know a lot of them are fighting on Titan the same night as me, and I mean it's just a matter of time before their names are also household names with mm-hmm. the Mike Pierce, Pat Healy's, and uh, that you know is what's so great about that gym. I uh, you know I was had been training at my gym before I went over there, and I just you know you can't be a world champion and be your own head coach or have you know not the elite sparring partners, not the elite, uh, you know, coaching staff. And, you know, so I, I upgraded my training, I guess is what you could say. Mm-hmm. Well, it uh, definitely seems like it's paid off. I mean, your last fight, you took on, uh, I would say, your most experienced and probably your toughest opponent yet. And uh, you went out there and you took care of business. So, you know, was that, did you just feel like that was the, the new training paying off? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd been out there for a couple of years mm-hmm. before that. It's just, uh, you know, when coaching and even you know with myself, it's there's a certain type of confidence that comes from knowing you've put in the hard work, from knowing you've done everything necessary to earn a victory, and, there, and that confidence can't be faked. Uh, and I, I really felt like this last fight, um, there's different levels of fighters. There's, you know, there's guys that are, entry-level pros, there's guys that are veteran pros, and then there's guys that are, you know, elite pros, whether they're, you know, new, old, West Coast, East Coast, and it just, I knew that I was on a different level. I knew that I prepared on a different level, and I knew that I was going to have a different level performance that fight, and I was able to essentially get, you know, a stop from leg kicks, which is no easy feat in itself. It just turned out that, you know, the, the coaches that I worked with and the game planning and everything, uh, you know, all the pieces came together and I got one of my best uh, finishes. Oh, yeah, it was uh, just an incredible performance. Now, um, I guess uh, moving on, we have a, uh, you know, was getting that solid performance, did that give you that confidence to want to take on somebody that's got like a big name like a, a Steven Seiler, a guy that's fought in the UFC? You know, did getting that win make you go, okay, you know, I'm ready for that step up? No, I, I felt that way for a long time. It's just, uh, you know, getting a record that puts you in a position to 
be offered or asked for a fight like that. You know, my skill level could be there, you know, as a one and zero fighter, but no promoter is going to offer me a big fight like that as a one and zero, a two and zero, a three and zero, maybe not even a four and zero fighter. You have to, you know, get those fights under your belt before, on paper, you know, an athletic commission will approve it. And you know, for years, probably about a solid year and a half, two years, uh, since right before my Bellator fight, like I knew my skill set was good enough to compete at the highest level, it was just at that point now, okay, I need to rack up the fights to then, you know, show it on paper so that we can get those phone calls coming in. Confidence-wise, skill set-wise, I've been there for a while. It's just now all coming to fruition. Now, uh, you haven't fought in over a year. Was there uh, an injury, or were you just having a lot of trouble finding fights? I know a lot of good prospects, you know, they have fights just... Basically, uh, deconstruct right in front of them, right before they're supposed to happen. A lot of times, when they're uh, you know just starting to uh, make a, a name for themselves. Um, you know, Sherdog doesn't have it listed, but I actually fought in March. Uh, oh, okay. At the same venue where this next fight is, it's on MMA.tv's records because ah. uh, the way the promotion and the uh, Washington State Athletic Commission does is they report to the uh, Association of Boxing Committee. Well, they report then to MMA.tv, not to SureDog. So SureDog has me at 7-0. Uh, MMA.tv has me as 8-0. So I actually fought this last March. But it, it has still been about eight months or so since I last fought. Uh, you know, the, the Northwest has a ton of fighters, but, you know, to get guys, and I say this very modestly, not big-headedly, to get guys to take the fight with me, they would, there's a certain thing that guys will do is they will say, oh, yeah, I'll take this fight, but I want this much money. And so what they're doing is they're essentially turning down a fight by asking for way too much money so that way they don't get the, the reputation of turning down fights and being scared. They they just go out and they say, oh, you know, I want 2000 to fight, 2000 to win. Well, you know, a local show is not going to do that. It doesn't make sense to them. They're not going to generate revenue spending that much money. So a lot of guys would, you know, verbally commit and then through negotiations the fight would fall through because they'd want, you know, all of a sudden a whole bunch more money as the fight got closer. And so it took about eight months before we could, you know, get a tough guy uh, with, you know, a good record to, to step up and take the fight. And I was able to, to get that. Knocks another one up on the victory. Well, I really appreciate some of that insight. I, that's something that I don't never really think about was, you know, the way that people can kind of toy around a little bit with uh, their reputations a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I very, don't know if very it's, uh, interesting. A thing up here, yeah. you know, a lot of guys are very, like, even at the amateurs level here in the Pacific Northwest, a lot of the amateurs are very uh, picky. Like, they you know, they really want to have that, that undefeated record as an amateur. They really want to have that great record as a pro, which I understand. I mean, everybody wants that, but especially as an amateur, it should be to get better. As a pro, I can understand a little bit, but, I mean, you don't want to be the the big fish in a little pond. You know, I'd rather be a big fish in a giant ocean and, you know, really test myself rather than just you know, beat a bunch of chumps along the way just to pad my mm-hmm. own record. Now, you fought at 135 and at 145 in your career. Um, where do you feel that, you know, if you make it to the, the biggest stage of it all, where do you feel you would uh, probably be most competitive at? Well, I actually fought 155 one time as well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it, I can make 135. It's difficult. 
and it definitely requires uh, an IV. And I, with you know, the UFC's new um, protocols, those not being allowed, I don't feel that I will safely be able to make 135 pounds again. So what I'll probably do is I'll put on just a little bit more size, uh, functional mass rather than just extra bulk. And I'll probably just uh, settle at 145. I feel like, you know, I'm 5'8", which is kind of an average. Uh, for this fight, Steven, I think is 5'10", 5'11", which is pretty tall for that. But, you know, the majority of the guys around that 5'8", 5'10", you know, I'm not severely undersized. So I, I feel like 145 pounds, I'm quick. I have my strength still and my, uh, my stamina. And I feel like that's probably the best weight class for me. Oh, excellent. Now, uh, my co-host here had a couple of things he wanted to uh, to know. First of all, he says he knows some people that handle the Sherdog records. He says he's going to reach out to one of those guys and see if we can get that updated. So, hopefully, we can get that rectified. See, you got to know people, so maybe that'll help. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then no, number two, he wanted to, he had a question. He wanted to know, you know, being a coach at your gym and then training uh, at another gym, you know, does he? Do you feel like when you're coaching, that helps reinforce what you've been learning, too. Like, it's just like doubles down. 100%. I, I really believe that uh, if, if fighters aren't coaching, they should, you know, volunteer at their gym or something, you know, at least once a week. Because what it does is it forces you to break technique down so extremely when you're explaining it that sometimes you say things or you explain it in a way that you're like, oh, man, you know, I'm saying that, but I don't know that I necessarily do that. And it kind of makes you re, uh, rethink it and refresh it in your own memory as you explain it. And I know for myself, I, I, you know, when I'm telling people how to, you know, throw their kicks and turn their hips through and pivot on the balls of their feet and, you know, turn their shoulders, uh, as I'm saying it, it's, it's putting it back into my own brain as well. Because, you know, there's been science that have said that, you know, visual visualization is about 90% as effective as if you actually do it yourself. So when you're sitting there explaining it and you're visualizing it, you're essentially going through the reps uh, then without, you know, actually doing the training, and it's extremely beneficial. Um, and that's part of the reason. Like, I, I very well could just have other coaches run the gym for me and I just kind of pop my head in every once in a while. But I like to coach for for that reason, but I mean, I also like coaching, but uh, a large part of it is because I get to continually refine those techniques as I demonstrate and explain them along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's what it's all about is, you know, you can learn something and knowing it is is good, but, you know, where you get the chance to really perfect it, that's that's where it gets real important because anybody can, can know how something works, but, you know, getting down deep down and breaking it down, that I think that's really where it starts to show off and you're able to use it against other people successfully in fights. Exactly. Yeah, because, I mean, how many times do we see a guy, you know, grab somebody's neck during a takedown and they have no idea what they're really doing with a guillotine choke? So, uh, I mean, somebody that really knows what they're doing, I mean, they'll put that guy to sleep in seconds. So... All right. A couple last things I had for you here, Austin. Uh, First off... Um, for the people that aren't familiar with you, how would you kind of describe your fighting style? So what can people kind of expect when they see you uh, step in there against Steven Seiler? I'm going to 
come straight forward. I'm going to put my fist in his face and put his back on the map, and I'm not going to stop. You know, I haven't been in a boring fight yet, and I definitely don't anticipate September 19th in Ridgefield, Washington, to start. So if you don't have Fight Pass already, sign up for it. You know, the three title fight alone is enough, but the undercard, I think, is really going to surprise a lot of people. A lot of awesome talent on board, and I think it's going to be a good night. Oh, definitely. And, you know, Steven Seiler, you know, he's a guy that's got a good name, but he's also had, you know, a history of a lot of trouble dealing with, you know, good wrestlers. Do you think that with your amateur wrestling background and then, you know, your focus and then the people that you work out with and train with, that you could have a, a huge advantage in terms of the ground game heading into this fight? Without sounding, uh, I want to sound confident, not cocky when I say that. Yeah. I think I can win this fight standing. I think I can win this fight on the ground. I think I can win this fight on the judges' scorecards. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if, if along the way he starts to get the better of me striking, then yes, I can choose to take it down where I don't think he has that same option. I don't think he has the ability to take me down when I start to beat him standing up. And I think that's going to frustrate him. I think it's going to slowly chip away at him. I'm going to be able to get inside his head and win the mental victory, which will lead to winning the fight. Yeah, that doesn't sound cocky at all. That's definitely confident. And uh, I guess uh, one of our last things that I always like to ask people when uh, they're on the show for the first time, but do you have any kind of uh, pre-fight rituals, whether it's you know just something, you know maybe you like to get with the family you know, a couple of days before the fight and just watch TV or lucky shorts, special pair of underwear, you know, maybe you'll like somebody wrapping your hands a special way. You know, is there anything that you know kind of puts your mind at ease before a fight? Not really, no. I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm i not a very superstitious person because if one of those things doesn't happen, I don't want that to then be in my head. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, just, I'm a very laid-back, stress-free type of person. You know, even in the cage right up before we, you know, start, I typically have, you know, Maybe not a smile on my face, but um, relaxed. You know, I, I stay very composed, and then you know, obviously once the rep says go, it's a light switch is switched on, and then it's you know a different mode. But nothing really, uh, yeah, nothing. No superstitions. No, uh, nothing along those lines. Mhm. And I don't know if you're one of these types, but the guys at the the Rose City, they are really into visualization techniques, especially guys like, you know, Dave Jansen. And I was wondering, you know, if you are practicing visualization for this upcoming fight against Steven Seiler, you know, how are you kind of picturing success? You know, what are you thinking in your head when you're you're thinking about the fight and, and winning? Just, I see it as a very similar to my Bellator fight. Bellator was, you know, at that time was the biggest stage that I had fought at. Um, mm-hmm. And I tend to shine the brightest under the, the brightest lights. I have my best performances when it means the most. And I see this fight as just a, you know, most people on paper, when they see my name versus next to his name, they figure Steven Siler is going to win. I see it, you know, starting off as easy and playing field, and I'm going to start, you know, minute and a half, two minutes in, it's going to be obvious that, you know, I've been winning the round. You know, four minutes into the round, it's going to be obvious that I'm winning, you know, 
eight minutes into the fight, it's going to be obvious that I'm winning. It's just you know, the tides are slowly going to get, the chips are going to start stacking on my side of the table more and more and more, minute by minute, until finally, you know, he doesn't have any chips left and my hand is raised. All right, excellent. Well, uh, last thing before we let you go, Austin, is uh, do you have any shout-outs, trainers, sponsors, anything like that? You know, I do. I have a whole bunch of them. Uh, some of the ones off the top of my head. It's, uh, it's a quick list. I'll try to get through it fast. Uh, Karma Fight Gear, Vitality Chiropractic, Royals Barber, FOI Labs, Cuban Brewing, Rose City FC, Vancouver Elite Martial Arts, Hula Boy, Charboil, Ambiance Tan, uh, Lunatic Tattoo. Gosh, I know I'm forgetting uh, a plethora of them, but, you know, I post all of it on uh, social media, on Facebook and Twitter. It's Austin Springer. Instagram is Austin Springer MMA. Uh, you know, go ahead and follow me. I'll, I do a bunch of clips of my training, sparring, hitting pads. Uh, a lot of really, really cool stuff to check out there. All right, excellent. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the show, Austin. I really appreciate it. And best of luck against Siler on September 19th for Titan FC 35. Hey, guys, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. If you don't have Fight Pass already, make sure you check it out for these fights. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for stopping by, and uh, best of luck, and uh, you have a terrific rest of your day. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. All right. Bye. All right. That was uh, Titan FC35's Austin Springer stopping by the verbal submission. Uh, Everybody's back. Uh, Jerry, Richard, do you guys learn anything important there? Yeah, well, I learned that he fought in Bellator. Who did he fight? Do you know? Uh, I think it was on like the preliminary card. It was one of those situations where uh, Bellator was in his area. Let me see where. Yeah, Bellator held an event in Portland um, when Sarnoff, uh Warren faced Nick Kirk in the main event, <laughs> and uh, this was a. Uh, and you know what they always do is they always load up the preliminary card with some local fighters. And Austin was one of the guys. He faced uh, Zach Skinner. And he won? Yeah. Well, Austin definitely won because he's never lost. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he won that one. And it looked like uh, that was a fight that was made for him to win because the dude he was facing uh, was 7-9 and nine at the time. Uh-huh. So, But he, uh, he, uh, he won by decision. And he has... And then Bellator didn't bring him back. So I think that motivated him because uh, he's won by stoppage every in his four fights since then. I, I didn't even realize Steven Seiler was demoted to Titan FC. Well, yeah, he got released after he lost like three or four straight in the UFC. And uh, and then he went to Titan and he fought for the title against Des Green and uh, lost. So That's right, yeah. Yeah, he's fallen off. They had, I remember he, that guy looked... Uh, he was, uh, well, he had a chance of being something. Yeah, well, after he, okay, what it was is he lost three straight in uh, UFC, and they released him. He lost to Des Green, and then since then he fought outside a Titan actually, <laughs> and he's won three times in the first round uh, on more of the local scene. So we'll <laughs> see what happens. He's back at Titan and uh, looking uh, looking to get back in contention, I guess. Well, it's the uh, it's the typical uh, crafty vet kind of recovery, where um, mm-hmm. might not have the you know the skills you need to be at the absolute peak level, 
but he still knows enough to be dangerous to pretty much everybody, and uh, he can snuff out a lot of uh, not very experienced fighters just by being crafty. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Siler didn't, you know, take it easy. I mean, he faced, uh, you know, Brandon Hempelman. That's a, a pretty tough guy that had battled uh, Marlon Moraes in World Series of Fighting. And then, uh, you know, he's basically during this little win streak, he he took on veterans. It was, uh, well, I guess never mind. His last fight, he faced a guy that was 1-0. But the two <laughs> before then, the two before then were against decent guys. So... I guess the last one was just a keep me busy fight because it was in August. <laughs> it's fighting again already. So, all right. Um, any last things you guys want to talk about before we uh, call it a night? What about the uh, Bellator Dynamite event? Yeah, there's one thing. They released a press release. I know that they were going to have a, two cage, uh, a ring and a cage set up in the same venue at the same time. So that way, you know, they wouldn't have to take something down and build it back up during the show. But I think the thing that was surprising the most to me is they're going to have, on the preliminary card, some fights taking place at the exact same time. They're going to have a kickboxing match going on during an MMA fight, like next to each other. That's got to be how, distracting. How, how terrible are the seats going to be? If you're if you're on the other side of the cage and you want to watch kickboxing, mm-hmm. they'll probably yeah. do it so that you 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 have the opportunity to see both. Like when they do events, um, usually one side is open. It's where like the fighters come out. There's no one really sitting there. Uh, so I'm, I would imagine that's how the setup will be. It'll. The cage will have will probably be connected to the ramp, and I would imagine for the kickboxing, the guys are going to come out of somewhere, but you'll be able to see both, um, whether you're you know wherever you're sitting, right? Because that, that would make sense. You wouldn't have the cage obstructing the the, the ring for the kickboxing fights and piss off a bunch of people. I think it's pretty neat. I mean, you're going to have yeah, it's going to be distracting. It'd be funny to see a fighter stop and, and, and kind of glance over to, to to see what the guys are doing next to them and then just get knocked out because of it. Um, but I think that um, yeah, this is fun. I mean, it, you have a one-night tournament where anyone could win. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. four-man, it's really a toss-up. <clears throat> I think it's going to be exciting to see Emmanuel Newton take on a, a Phil Davis and, you know, King Mo and, and um, who's the other guy? Lincoln in the South. He should win that one. You know, so you're going to have potentially Mo versus Emmanuel Newton, number three, or King Mo versus Phil Davis, which should be fun. I really want to see King Mo versus Phil Davis. That That's going to be a super interesting fight. It, it's going to be super it could it, it has the potential to be really boring, though. Uh, I think what it, what's going to happen is if wrestling's going to cancel each other out and uh, Mo is going to knock Phil Davis silly, but I, I, I'm not 100% confident in that pick. Yeah, hopefully Phil Davis has improved the striking and comes out aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I mean, it's definitely going to be a competitive tournament. They announced uh, the bracket, like, 
they actually so who's fighting who now? Because uh, before uh, they didn't know. Yeah, it's going to be Phil Davis versus uh, Emmanuel Newton. Oh, okay. And then, and, and one and then um, King Bo versus Lynn in the South. That's who's the other guy. Yeah, that's pretty good matchups. And then the winners against each other. I think, I think everybody's dream matchup is Newton King Mo three baby. That would be fun, man. That would be. (laughs) I think if Emmanuel Newton beats Phil Davis, uh, I mean that would that would be pretty crazy. Yeah, that would be pretty fun, man. And then you know, have him go that fight against um, Liam McGarry. I mean, holy shit, he was how he didn't tap out was. Unbelievable. Yeah. The guy was in pretty bad spots each time, and he has a ton of heart. He's a tough dude, and uh, I think it'd be fun to see him go in there. And You know, just for the hell of it, have Tito beat McGarry, and then you inverse Tito, because, um, you know, he would have his head knocked off. Manuel Newman would put him to sleep. Yeah. Well, you know it's going to be... Uh... Champ Tito. By the time the the winner of this tournament gets their title shot, they got yeah, Tito. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else, guys? The fact that uh, we could have been watching Frank Shamrock versus Tito, you know, <laughs> for a second time, and Tito said no and turned it down. That would have been a pretty fun fight. That fight would have made a whole lot of sense. That did did Frank fun. actually ask to fight Tito in Bellator? They, uh, Scott Coker actually said it was all set. The fight was Frank had agreed to it, and they were trying to get Tito on board, and he wanted the title shot. <laughs> oh, that's so, hilarious! The fact fun, that man. Frank, the Fran, the fact that Frank would even want to with all his career injuries, like he could barely walk at this point. Well, I think it would have been it would have been more competitive than what will you know than what the title shot like will be. Yeah, we'll see. All right. I think that's going to do it for today's show. Is there any last stuff you guys want to go over before we call it, we wrap it up? Well, I got one thing uh, I want okay. everybody to check out. Somebody um, on Twitter did a really, really in-depth look at uh, the Explode fight series mm-hmm. and exactly how mismatched all the fights are. Um, MMA Fighting did a did a, 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 a kind of a more uh, investigative piece on it, but um, this person on Twitter did uh, did a whole bunch of research and got and crunched all the numbers, and it's all available on a, on a Google Doc. I just posted it in the chat, and I also just retweeted it on Twitter. Uh, it's super interesting to see just how lopsided all of the fights are. Um, I think one of the numbers is there was, uh, there was one card where... Um, where the uh, losing side of the card was a combined like one in one twenty nine in terms of win loss record, um, so it, it's it's really interesting to to look and see exactly how bad Tomato Can MMA is. <laughs> I I didn't uh, make up Tomato Can MMA. I they believe actually it. have that on the post in the Explode Fight Series cage. So is that the thing you uh, linked? Yeah, it is. Okay. All right. Um, And I guess for me, uh, I don't know if I've got anything really interesting for people to check out today. So what about you, Jerry? Anything you ran into? Uh, No, not today, man. Not today. 
<laughs> well, you know what? Actually, yeah, go go read the Wells report. Uh, fuck Roger Goodell. Fuck Wells. <laughs> and thank God Tom Brady has been vindicated, and he will start against the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, next Thursday. And uh, and he'll be there to watch the uh, the banner go up. And hopefully, I, I, uh, I, I got to give my piece on this. And as somebody, I, I love the Patriots, but the entirety of Massachusetts has been insufferable for like a week now. And I just can't wait until everybody gets it out of their system. Because you can't get in line anywhere for anything without somebody bringing it up to you. And I'm really sick of it. Well, you know what? I, I think everybody's sick of it. If, if <laughs> Roger Goodell had, wasn't such an asshole and a shit commissioner, and if uh, Chris Mortensen hadn't reported just completely wrong information, then uh, then this whole thing wouldn't have gone to court, you know? It's just crazy how this all played out. Meanwhile, you have guys that are beating the shit out of their, their wives, domestic violence, committing crimes, and uh, they're getting fewer or as many games as they wanted to punish Tom Brady. So that, to me, that's the ridiculous part. So, yeah. Go, go check out Roger Goodell's Twitter and call him an asshole. <laughs> I'm sure he gets plenty of that already. All right. Sure. Well, sir. All right. We're going to try to get back at the regularly scheduled time of 6.30 p.m. next week. We'll see what happens with uh, the first day of uh, the NFL, like first full day. So that might make things a little interesting. But, uh, yeah, no. back same time. Oh. No, go ahead, up, go ahead. Oh. And I was just going to say same time, same place next week. Uh, and then a uh, big thank you to Austin Springer for stopping by the show, even if he is a, a dirty Seahawks fan. And, uh, and um yeah, that'll do it for today's show. So I uh, appreciate you guys, Jerry and uh, Rich, for uh, stopping by. You can follow Richard on Twitter at high underscore light. Richard is, or Jerry is at Jerry Espayunko. I am at Brian Hemminger. Verbal submission is at verbal submit. Check us out on Facebook. We got over 1,000 likes now, so that means we're really cool. And uh, I believe Almost 5,000. 5,000? Holy crap. I don't even pay attention, so. <laughs> wow. And, uh, uh, Richard, I believe there's a, a special time right now. It's Kurt Angle time. Oh, yeah.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.